Janine. This is KUCI 88.9 FM in Irvine, and this is Get the Funk Out. Well, I'm so excited to welcome author of the best-selling book, Pancakes in Paris, back. Craig Carlson is standing by. He's calling in from Paris to talk about his latest book, Let Them Eat Pancakes, One Man's Personal Revolution in the City of Light. The book came out July 7, 2020, and I'm so excited to have you on the show. Welcome. Oh, it's great to be here. How are you doing? <laughs> Good. The first thing I noticed about you was your amazing background. Could you give us a little taste of what's going on? Yes. Um, this is my apartment in the Marais in Paris. And uh, it's from, I believe it was constructed about 1815, according to the records. And we started renovations on this place um, to open it up. And so, as you can see, all these wood beams uh, are all exposed now. And yes. just, it's just beautiful. And now it goes, it's vaulted ceiling, goes all the way up to the mezzanine. Gorgeous. And, but the, uh, the, the renovation started in January. And, of course, March, the confinement happened. Mm -hmm. So everything came to a standstill. And so Julian and I, my husband, um, we had no place to stay all of a sudden. So we moved into my diner, which is a whole fun story in itself. <laughs> we lived above the diner during the lockup and we couldn't go outside. We couldn't do anything. But yet every morning, the New York Times was delivered. It was considered essential material. Okay. I turn on the coffee pot, uh, toast myself a bagel and cream cheese. and, and thought, I well, love it. It's in a booth and think, <laughs> life's not so bad. <laughs> Wait, you're not having a croissant. I don't know if I pronounced that correctly, you but you're having a bagel. <laughs> having a bagel, exactly. Or, you know, yeah, a bagel or a muffin or omelets, you know, yeah. pancakes, of course. Because of course. Of and course. Julian was experimenting with all kinds of new recipes over those uh, two and a half months being locked up where I didn't mm -hmm. step outside once for two months. Wow. And uh, he was making buckwheat pancakes and uh, what else? Cornmeal pancakes, blue corn pancakes. Amazing. It was the best confinement you could have. <laughs> so for listeners who didn't listen to my first segment with you on your first book, tell me about the, how the first book came about and how you got to the second book. Mm. Well, the first book, Pancakes in Paris, is about the whole adventure uh, of starting the first American breakfast diner in Paris and how I had this aha moment um, when I was in LA, because I'd been working on a, a TV show in Paris. I used to work in TV a little bit. And when the show ended, my friends took me to a, a, a breakfast place in downtown LA. And the moment my breakfast feast arrived, which was uh, buckwheat pancakes, eggs, ham steak, sourdough toast, I had this epiphany, because I knew I wanted to live in Paris after that experience, but I didn't know what I wanted to do next. And so then I went, oh my God, the one thing I missed when I was in Paris, just wow. looking at that breakfast. Yeah. And at that moment, it was this aha moment. I'm, I'm, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to open a diner. And uh, my friends who were with me said, uh, yeah, right. Let me they get thought this you were sleep deprived or something. Uh, yeah, something, right? Or yeah, jet lag. <laughs> okay, like, Craig. You never, you never had your own restaurant, your own business. Yeah. You, want, you can barely cook. And you want to open a restaurant in Paris in a foreign language, foreign country, that's the culinary capital of the world. Good luck. <laughs> and so the whole book is that against the odds, battling mm -hmm. the odds. Uh, one of the thing re things readers always say is, how did I just not give up? Because I, the obstacles I faced the entire way, most yeah. of them humorous, some of them heart-wrenching, um, led me to having two diners in Paris, one on each bank, the left bank and right bank, and uh, which started off you know, appealing to expats and um, uh, tourists, but now 70% of our customers are French. So we're a bit of a French Wonderful. Amazing. Now, so. How did you not give up? Because I could only imagine there's so many 
things that were challenges along the way? Well, I think there's a couple things. I think um, my grandmother, Polish, I have a Polish grandmother who was very stubborn and just when she had something in her mind, mm, mm -hmm. and I think I had that little bit of obsessiveness. And I think when you have an idea like that, that's so clear and so lucid, you, you, that's all you can think of. And so I was just laser focused on this. And then to be honest, and I make a joke about it in the book, um, I gave up everything in the States and I was already, uh, I was, I had $64,000 in student loan debt. My credit cards were maxed out. And here I come over to the country with some seed money from investors to try to get a loan and a location. And at one point it looked like everything was going to fall through. And I sat there and I thought of Richard Gere and an officer and a gentleman where it's like, I've got nowhere else to go. <laughs> you remember that famous scene? Seriously. And I thought, yeah. And I was like, okay, I've got to make this happen. So I think yeah. sometimes when you put in all the chips, you, you just have to go to the end. Right. So I think that was the one point where I didn't, I really thought maybe this wasn't going to happen and what am I going to do now? But I got through that last hurdle and then a whole bunch of new ones came, but uh, of course they do. It's like a bad yeah. movie. Exactly. <laughs> right? And let's throw in a coronavirus. Right? Exactly. Like now. It's like, wait, yeah. what? Well, that's funny you should say that because um, all last year with the Gilets Jaunes, the yellow vests were protesting mm -hmm. and, you know, burning things and knocking over things. And, and all of us restaurant uh, cafes were like, are we going to make it through this? That calms down. And then Paris goes on strike, the biggest strikes in 20 right? years. And uh, we're going to make it through that. And then February, suddenly everything was coming back. And we're like, wow, you know, we had our best month in mm -hmm. years. It's like, well, we're getting through this. And then, of course, the virus. But right. it's affected everyone, of course. But it's just, it's part of the adventure. And yeah. at what point, I mean, how long did it take you to write the second book? And, you know, what was that like? Because you're juggling so many things. Yeah, the, um, let's see, the... the after the, the first one, well, I can first explain why I wrote the second one. The first one pretty much took me up to uh, where, where the introduction of Julian and um, how I met him and how the diners were launched and finally how they pretty much became successful. But I really wanted to uh, write about how it changed my life. That's why the subtitle of the book, um, yeah. One Man's Personal Revolution. And also I wanted to show that America and France, we could really learn from each other. Cause I think when, like for myself, I feel like I have two parents, one French, one American. And I feel like there's so much to offer on both sides, American optimism that kind of doesn't, don't give up and you know, can do anything. And the French sense of community stability, um, uh, you know, the way they've handled this crisis has been quite impressive. You know, they, they just kicked right into gear. They have a great so social safety net. And um, for example, I didn't have to laugh. Any of my employees, Great. the government took it over as gave them unemployment benefits. Good. As I ease back into work right now, I can hire them, bring them in part-time. The government covers the rest of it. Great. So I'm not forced to bring them all back in full-time. Oh so right. it makes such logical sense. And, but it's there to help the business and the worker. And so there's so much in France that's like this. And I think... But there's that the, on the business end and then the personal level too. I think the quality of life here, we could learn a lot from in America. And I think also, you know, again, our, on our, our, again, I keep saying positivism because even French will say that, um, how we just look on the bright side of things so much. And I think I like that, that. that is a wonderful attribute that Americans have. So the book really became evolved into that as I wrote it. Um, 
where I really realized, wow, we could really learn from each other. And so, uh, it, and it took me to answer your question, it took me about a lot faster than the first book. Um, I think simply partially because I had done a book tour with the first book, met lots and lots of my readers, and I would tell them new stories and new things that had happened. And they were like, oh, that has to go in a book. That has to go in the next book. So already I pretty Good. much knew the stories I wanted to tell. It was just a question of how to structure the book and make it uh, compelling and interesting. And so that took a little bit of time. But overall, it took about only a little about a year and a half to write the book, where the first okay. one took almost three years. I'd say half the time. Yeah. I think because when you get to the second book, you ha your vision is more focused and you kind of understand the process and that you really want to crank it out faster, too. Yeah, yeah. You agonize absolutely. over the first one. <laughs> yes, exactly. Right? It's, you're, yeah, yeah. You're, you're, if you're learning as you go, and because it was yeah. my first book. And right. I had had screenwriting experience, so that helped with the narrative. And I learned a lot about, you know, keeping the, the, the viewer, or now in this case, the reader, hooked so that they want to read more. They want, they want to feel themselves in the story, feel the details, see, see everything as they're reading it. So I think that my cinema background really helped for that. Um, but this one, I think I was able to go a little bit more literary into it. Uh, so I was pleased with that. I was able to. That's great. Sort of, uh, I forget the expression. But. I mean, it's very inspiring. You know, my show is called Get the Funk Out. And yeah. I don't know anybody who's not going through a personal professional funk right now. Yes. But to do what you did, to go to Paris, could, you could not speak the language, could you? I was I was speaking it okay by then. Okay, by then. I still had a lot to learn. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, no, I, I, I lived as an uh, exchange student okay. and thought I had learned the language until I came back and had to uh, live day to day and, and business languages in particular. I didn't know any sure. of the terms, so I had to yeah. learn all that. But I, I could speak conversationally enough, which helped good. a lot. It helped That's open good. a lot of doors. Yeah. But, but at the same time, um, yeah, again, I had no idea uh, of how, how complicated things would be, um, you know, for start. I, I've sp spoken, there, there's a funny moment in the first book where um, I go to get some training at a French restaurant in Paris, I'm sorry, in Los Angeles, because I, I wanted to get, you know, I didn't have any restaurant experience. I had like a week crash course. And the owner who was French, he's like, oh, I had a restaurant in Paris. I'd never do it again. <laughs> and so I was like, oh, boy. I can see he really took it. his advice. <laughs> yes, exactly. Well, I was like, oh, he's just saying that. <laughs> yeah. Because I, I, he said it was so much easier to set up a business in America. And again, that's something I think we can, the French can learn, is to not be so, right. so complicated with, with the procedures. And, um, but, uh, yeah, so, so. It was it was tough. But listen, I mean, when you think about it, you must be so relieved your business is not in L.A. right now. Yeah, I have to say that because I really feel bad from all my breakfast joints and places sure. there that inspired me because there, there are many that, that I, I, I would take little pearls from them. You know, of, of, for example, there used to be a place called Ships. Mm -hmm. There used to be a, a chain of them in Los Angeles and a lot of LA, LA old timers know this. And they used to have a, a toasters at every table. Oh, I cute! Like, oh, I love this idea. So we have toasters at every table. Oh, I love that. So there's that. a lot of ideas that I was inspired by from from American uh, from diners and coffee shops in LA. And, and sadly, a lot of them are closing or on the last you know on the last know. leg. And so I really want to get back to LA actually and just go back and support them and and bring my business to them. So mm -hmm. uh, I, I have to say that uh, I think that's something uh, you know I wish. They would, uh, America would look a little bit of how France and Germany, there's a great article in the New York Times about how Germany has handled it, which is very similar to France, mm -hmm. and how they're, they're weathering the storm very well. 
it's not to say there won't be a resurgence and there won't be another spike, sure. but they're so much more prepared for it, you know? And so, and they had a plan for businesses like mine. And, and at one point, for example, I didn't, I thought, oh my God, if I have to reduce my seating inside by, you know, 30, 40, 50%, how am I going to make it? Because the diner is made by, you know, butts and seats, yes. as we say, you, you know, bet. turning those tables. Right. And so what they did is they allowed us to take over all the parking spaces in front of the oh. restaurant. So we've expanded all our... Fantastic. Our, yeah. And so that has helped us so, so much. So that they've yeah. been thinking about that. How can we help the businesses and the uh, employees, the workers, mm-hmm. and they have found a great balance. And so right. I have to say, uh, you know, because you, you'll read things in both books where you pull your hair out and go, oh my God, how can you do business in that place? Because for example, it's virtually impossible to fire someone. Um, and some, some will take advantage of that. And know, you know, some workers will know that they can pretty much do anything. They can lie about being sick or they can... Uh, Why can't you fire someone? Because it, it, here it's considered um, a job. It's almost like a, a right, you know? And so when you get this contract, you have a, I have a chapter in there called the trial period. Mm-hmm. And then you have two months window to, to get it right, to decide if this person is going to, you know, you want to keep them on permanently or not. And after that, it becomes an indefinite contract. And that is, is so, so hard to break. Wow. On one end, it's great for the employee because when they have one of those, they can go to a bank and they can help get loans for, you know, or, or when mm-hmm. they're renting an apartment, it shows they have stability. Stability, sure. Yeah. And so that, I understand that logic. But even if you talk to French people who are gung-ho about this and you say, but should it be okay for an employee to just not show up to work for a week, <laughs> you know, and uh, one, I had one employee who was stealing some things and posting it on Facebook, you know, oh. and, and, and they're like, you know, well, you know, you can't really prove that they stole it from the restaurant. I'm like, well, oh, really? What's he doing on Facebook? <laughs> I, like I have French, French's mustard words aren't even sold in stores. It's only in my diner. I think uh, that's kind of a giveaway. Yeah. So. So, so I think that that's one of the most frustrating parts. And those, the worst is when you get an employee who knows how that works and they take advantage of that. Definitely. Um, thankfully, uh, they're, they're relatively few and far between. You know, I haven't had that knock on wood for, since this last chapter in the book, uh, the trial period, which was about three years ago was the last time I encountered something really tough like that. Wow. So I think we got a good record going. Thank good. God my friend husband is there be, with me because he understands the system. He knows how to do the language. Good. Uh, and work the bureaucracy much better than me. On my yeah, you own need that. Yeah. Definitely. So, you know, you have enough on your plate. Yes. You, yeah. That's the thing. You're just trying to stay open and stay in business. And it's just, yeah. you know, you don't need all that extra hassle. But, but now I understand more and more, you know, why it's important for, for, for that here. Yeah. Let uh, me just, just um, share with you a quick little you, thing. Yeah. Uh, sometimes people here don't want to wear masks. Yes. Yes. And I, to me, I, why not? I mean, plus I feel like if you know what's going on in the healthcare system and how the doctors and nurses and all the frontline workers are just battling this virus, why wouldn't you? Yeah, that's very true. And just, it's, it's pretty timely because on uh, uh, Monday or Sunday night, uh, the government announced new rules that whenever you're inside anywhere, you should wear your mask. And so people have been mostly have been respecting it. My restaurant, I saw it completely change because they would come in without it and uh, we'd serve them. But, you know, we said we had, if you came up to pay by the register, if you went down to the bathroom, you had to put on your mask. Mm-hmm. But now everyone's pretty much coming in, wearing it. They take it yeah. off when they eat, put it back on. 
um, generally, I mean, there's there's a bunch of young people who still, I think it's in every country, yes. who just, they feel immortal in this and then they don't understand the connection with exactly. each other. But everyone here, I think, uh, gets the fact that it's not for you so much as for others. That's the thing. So exactly. once everyone is thinking of the other person instead of just themselves, it helps. And that's in the fabric of French society. You know, they're very individualistic and, you know, mon droit, my rights and this and that. But they also get the connection, the social fabric. I like and that. I, yeah. And so I think that's, so it's, we've had a lot of conversations here with my French customers about what's, why aren't, why is it such a, why is it a political issue? First of all, <laughs> whether to wear a mask or not, it's, it's a health issue. Sure. And to turn it into that is just, they can't understand it. And okay. so I just try Causes to say, well, <laughs> you know, I don't know how to explain it either, but yeah, it is right. Yeah. It, yeah, it really does. So, so, what else would you like listeners to know about your book without giving too much away? Oh, I think um, the fact uh, one uh, review just came out and said that it's just, it, it just warms the heart. It, it allows you to travel to France because right now you can't go leave the country. Americans can't travel. I, so many friends have said, oh, I had to cancel my trip. It, uh, it really is an armchair traveler book. It brings, transports you to Paris. And I think it's just, I think you'll fall in love with the characters. I think there's a universal quality to the characters. For example, one of the um, more popular chapters is two, I think, is one is um, my 86-year-old neighbor here in France who survived World War II during D-Day in Normandy when she was a little girl, then became a university professor and fought for women's rights and did all kinds of things, but never had had an American burger. Nothing as crazy as an American burger, a real burger. And so one day I, I said, you know, come on, madame, I'll treat you. And she said, oh, no, I don't know. And she came and there's a whole scene about her. Oh, I love first it. First time trying a burger. And she came from a very bourgeois family in Normandy where uh, the tape played. She said every dinner was like this. You dress up. Mm-hmm. You know, this is back in the 40s and 50s. There'd be knives and forks, like four or five pairs sets on each side that you would start from the beginning. You know. Sure. And, and here I'm trying to encourage her to grab the burger with her hands. Pick it up. <laughs> like you pick it up. But she wasn't going that the far. horror. <laughs> exactly. So, so there's those kinds of stories, I think, that are just fun culturally. And, yeah. um, and you just, I think you, and then the other one is my belle maman, which is uh, French from mother-in-law. Okay. And uh, that's my husband's mother, who I've just fallen in love with. And she spoils us rotten with her French cooking. So if you love uh. French cooking, uh, there's uh, scenes in there where she would just make us this four and five course meal. Um, and in one particular instance, we were visiting her. She was living in Dijon at the time. That's where they're from. Uh, she, we had this great big dinner and we went outside to take a walk to kind of burn off some of the calories. And suddenly it was a drizzly night day. And all of a sudden she saw this uh, snail and she ran over and grabbed it. And she's like, wow, look at this beauty. And it was a burgundy snail. And she's like, I'll be right back. And she ran to the apartment, came back with a bag. And she asked Julian, what's the date? And he's like, uh, July 5th or whatever it was. And she, it's just, oh, good. And I'm like, what's that about? And he goes, well, hunting season for snails just started. Um, yeah, started, it's got to go hunting season. started on July 1st. So she, she, before you know it, she had 250 snails that Whoa. she had picked up. And, uh, and later we decided to smuggle to, uh, most of them through customs to America when we came back for a trip because she, she was going to meet my friends and make a great dinner for all of them. And so we had to get this, we call it Operation Escargot. We that had to sneak so snails funny. past 
Uh, but I got to ask you, how did that not smell by the time you got it off the plane? Well, that's the thing. I mean, the little secret is they weren't alive by that point. Yes. And that's the other thing that's quite interesting is uh, I had no idea the process that goes into preparing an escargot, you know, and so it's pretty horrific. It's <laughs> and some people said, oh, I'll never eat another escargot again. I don't think that should be what people think, because most things we eat, if we had to do it yourself, you probably wouldn't, right? Sure. <laughs> you to, yeah. Yeah. I remember being... I remember being a little girl living in Manhattan and having escargot with the garlic and the butter at yeah. this beautiful French restaurant. And yeah. oh, that was amazing. Yeah, so right. I and would so eat I them think, now, but yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I have a chapter <laughs> in there as well about that, about um, uh, just the different ways that uh, uh, food, cuisine are, are looked at from some of the American customers that I have coming over. For example, they'll come to my restaurant, some tourists, very few, but some will come over and they'll want to eat my diner every day. And that makes me feel guilty because the French part of me is like, and Americans like, great, I love the business. The yes. French that you're bringing me, but the French side of me is like, please try other food. Go out. There's, there's so much great That's stuff very nice there. of you. Well, I think it's just so important. So that's the part in me that's become French, which for an American would shock them. Wait, you're turning away business? I'm like, I'm not turning away business per se. They're still coming. I'm just mm -hmm. trying to get them to experience other things. Right. And, and, and that's a, a pretty fun chapter there because because uh, one uh, a friends from my high school came and they were like that resistant they didn't want to go to anything and they, and they had two children and, and and my friend's wife kept saying oh they won't like that you know they like Chuck E. Cheese they like restaurants with you know fun and games and distractions and I said well let's try it and there sure enough the seven-year-old wanted to try snails and the mother's like oh you'll never eat those and the kid loved it and I bet were, they did but mainly the garlic butter. <laughs> of course, that's how old I was. Exactly. <laughs> I would eat the bread and the garlic butter. Exactly. So, so you know, I, I joke in the book, it says that seven-year-old learned what took me like 40 years to learn, that it's all about the garlic butter. <laughs> exactly, yeah. So there, there's can, those kinds of chapters in the book. Mm -hmm. Now, uh, where can people find out more about you? Oh, so, so um, well, Let Them Eat Pancakes is available uh, online, of course, through Amazon, Barnes & Noble. You can order it through your local bookstore, which I recommend because especially during these times, our local bookstores, independent bookstores, really need support. And so if you have your favorite one near you, uh, that's a place to order it. Um, you can also follow um, me on uh, uh, Instagram, at Pancakes in Paris. Uh, and uh, what's the other one? Facebook. Facebook. <laughs> Craig Carlson author. Okay. And uh, I also have a Craig Carlson author website, which you can follow, uh, which has all the information on both books. And uh, yeah. So. Great. I, I have a question I did not ask. I was thinking for people that are from Paris, do they eat the pancakes differently? Are there certain things that you have that mm -hmm. they prefer on a pancake as opposed to maple syrup or whipped cream. Oh, that's interesting. Sorry, that's interesting. You should mention that because, um, well, let me back up because I think it's interesting to say why it's called Let Them Eat Pancakes. Mm -hmm. Because when I first opened the restaurant, um, I, I knew already from living in France that they're very strict about when they eat, what they can eat, etc. at what time. Oh. And so the idea of breakfast at any time was just too much for them. You know? So they would like, so, and I remember the very first customer, we opened like two years, a French customer said, can I have, it was 10 p.m., can I have pancakes now? And I'm like, of course you can. Of course. Really? <laughs> you know, it's, but it's nighttime, that's breakfast. I'm like, no, you can. Right. And so over time, now, majority of my French customers, which are 70%, are now ordering majority 
breakfast, lumberjack breakfast today at five o'clock, you know, all lumberjack breakfast sure. at the table of French people. And the pancakes to your question, um, they don't smear butter all over it like Americans love to do. I can't get mm -hmm. them to do that. Um, they want Nutella desperately oh. <laughs> on their pancake, which I haven't done yet, which I suppose I should give a try. But I say, I have chocolate chips and we put them inside, okay. which they're surprised about too. It's like, it's inside the pancake, you know, it's like a crepe, you put it on top, sure. right? And, yeah. And so, and uh, so I think there's that. And I think, um, and the 100% maple syrup from Canada and whatever, that's only appreciated by Canadians and certain Americans. French are fine with the pancake syrup. But uh, yeah, no, I, I would say culturally there, I think, I think pancakes, they've taken to it like an American, you know, uh, which is great. That's yeah. Good. And, but I do, they, the, the quantity is big, very large for French customers. And so most of the time they don't finish their whole meal. And so one of the funny stories I have is the, as I introduced the French to the doggy bag, because when they first started, <laughs> they, they, Julian's mom, very elegant woman, she's like, oh, that's very gauche to ask for your food to go. You know, you should order just enough that you're going to finish what you eat. You know, mm -hmm. you know, it's, she just thought it was, you know, even the name, doggy bag. Sure. And so uh, um, eventually a TV station in France came and did a, a report on the doggy bag in my restaurant. And oh, you know, I love that. You know, French people are you know, <laughs> finishing their pancakes. I'm like, yeah, have a doggy bag? And uh, I don't have a doggy, but I'll take a doggy bag. <laughs> exactly. But there's a nice little footnote to this. The, the, the French government, you know how strong they are about the language and which words they're going to adopt into the language and that kind of thing. They came up with a term for it which they want French people to use, which is the gourmet bag. Oh, I <laughs> like that. Okay. Bag. So, <laughs> yeah. So no one's it's using classier it. Classier than doggy bag. bag. Yeah, but I haven't heard a single French person say gourmet bag. Oh, you haven't. Okay, that's cute. <laughs> no, they, want, they want the doggy bag. So cute. Well, congratulations on your book. Could you give us a mini tour of what's behind you? Because it's gorgeous. Would you oh, mind? Really? No pressure. No, oh my God, this is great. Okay. So that's um. So again, it's it's in the works right now. But this has been uh, this apartment was built in the uh, 1800s in the Marais, which is one of the old old sections of the city. And I'm going to take you oh, over to the corner here. Staircase. So look at, so look at the staircase. Uh, my architect found it at a, a brocante or, or a um, antique store. Can you see it okay from here? It looks like a theater staircase almost. Yeah. Yeah, mm -hmm. it's, it's iron, old iron, she said, from probably the early to mid-1800s. Amazing. Getting it up six flights of stairs without an elevator, let me tell you, it was not What easy. a workout. Could burn off a lot of pancakes. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and this is where the bedroom's going to be, and that's going to be the view of the vaulted ceiling up there. See it? Ah, oh, gorgeous. And Julian, I don't know if you can see the mezzanine. Uh, do you see the mezzanine up on top? Uh, no. Tilted a little bit more. I do. Oh, and he's waving. Julian up there? Yeah. Hello. So that's Gorgeous. where that stairway goes to. Is there a window? Just, There's a window out there, right? I have to show you the rooftops of Paris because... This, uh, this is you know, I've never been, and I really, really want to go when it's safe to travel. Can you see the rooftops oh, here? Oh, this is beautiful. Isn't that gorgeous? It is gorgeous. Look at the little old streets here. And this is evening for you. This is, um, you are nine hours ahead? Um, nine hours ahead. It's about um, 6.30 now. Gorgeous. You know, Paris is actually at the level of Nova Scotia. So we have uh, light until almost 10 p.m. here in the summer. Oh, kind of like Alaska. <laughs> Alaska is the same way. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. That is gorgeous. Oh, yeah, you got, you got a sneak peek of my apartment, which we're supposed to be able to move into um 
in uh, two weeks, they said. <laughs> Amazing. Well, when it's safe to travel, I would love to meet you in person, but this is the next best thing, I have to say. Well, since you haven't been to France, you have to come. So we have to put that I would the... love to. I interviewed another author, and she's there too. So, yeah, we'll have to oh, really? add something. Okay. Wonderful. Well, it has been fantastic, because the first time I was just listening to you, you know, talking to you on the radio, yeah. uh, we just had audio, so it's nice to meet you in person. Nice to meet you in person, too. And this you has too. been really lovely. And, uh, right. Well, I, I stay know, well. I'm quite surprised to, to show people a little tour of my place. I felt I love it. I feel I like I was it. on HGTV or something. Uh, by the <laughs> way, what a nice diversion, too, because yeah. there's so much going on with coronavirus. To have this house that is so gorgeous and it's your project is wonderful. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And it just keeps, keeps us focused on something very positive. Absolutely. Yeah. I agree. Well, stay well. I've really enjoyed this. And thank you again. Absolutely. Congratulations. Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. I'm supposed to say au revoir, correct? Au revoir. Au revoir. A bientôt. See you soon. <laughs> See you soon. Take care, Craig. Thanks so much. Sure.